Well, today we're continuing our series on fishing and how to fish. And, and I think in this series, we've kind of had a, an aha moment when we've kind of realized as a church that, that Jesus' agenda for his 12 disciples is Jesus' agenda for each one of us. And when Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he called them to something. He says, I'm, I'm going to make you into something you are not. And Jesus Christ is calling you. He wants to make you. He wants to make me into something we are not. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. He said to Simon, he said, follow me, and I'll make you become what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Now, the interesting thing here about this, this statement is that the disciples didn't initially follow Jesus for what they could give, but what they could get. I mean, they just saw this incredible miracle. They just saw what Jesus did, and they thought, hey, I want more of this guy. You know, I, I want to follow this guy. And they followed Jesus initially for what they could get, not what they could give. And so is the case in most of our experiences. Most of us, we follow Jesus for what we can get. The forgiveness of our sins, a better marriage, a better life. But the disciples in the process, they began to live for a grander purpose, an eternal purpose. They began to realize that followers fish if they're really following. To follow Jesus means to what? Fish. Can we say that statement together? Followers fish if they're really To follow Jesus means to fish. And we've learned that, that Christ's followers for, for generation upon generation upon generation have been fishing and fishing and fishing generation after generation until someone finally fished for you. And aren't you glad they did? And now we need to face our fears. We need to face our fears and fish for others in that ocean of endless opportunity. Because the message of Jesus Christ is not intuitive. It's rooted in history. Christianity is all about the fact that something has happened in history. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it has changed the world forever. And the only way someone can know history is for someone to tell them about it. Someone has to tell you about it to know history. And you can't discover Jesus by just sitting under a tree somewhere and meditating. The gospel is not intuitive. Knowing Jesus is not intuitive. Someone has to tell you about him and about history, and about what he has done. Now, this idea of telling people about Jesus and what he's done, it gives many of us what, you know, you'd call the, the heebie-jeebies, you know? Like, you mean, I've got to tell someone about Jesus? Now, others of you might be thinking, I, I just can't do that. My faith is very personal, it's very private, and I just ask you to kind of hang in with me and don't shut down and keep an open mind because fishing for men is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. Now, just for clarity's sake, when we're talking about fishing for men, we're not talking about getting with your girlfriends and going down to the club and going fishing for a husband or something. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? 
Um, but man, I, I love fishing. I love, I love fishing for fish. I enjoy fishing. I, but I found I don't really enjoy fishing very much if I'm fishing by myself. Now, I, I learned to fish with my, my granddads. One was Granddad McElroy in the picture here. Another was Granddad Underwood. And, and when I spent time with my granddads, they loved to fish and they always took me fishing. And I loved being with them because I would, I would fish and learn to fish with them. And I remember as a little boy at 708 Pelican Way in North Palm Beach, I'd come home from Alamanda, and I was just all excited that day about getting home to go fishing, you know. We'd grab our fishing pole, I'd grab my brother, the neighbors, and we'd go down the street to the, uh, uh, to the canal there and the seawall, and we would catch seawall creatures. I know it might grow some of you out, kind of like roaches that live on the seawall. And we'd hook them on the hook, and we'd catch sheephead. Sometimes we'd catch snapper. My dad really liked that, and blowfish. And we just had fun fishing. But you know what I discovered? If I went down there fishing alone... It wasn't any fun. I didn't really enjoy going. You know, to me, fishing is not a, you know, it's not a solo sport. It's a team. I want to show people my fish, show people what I caught. So much more fun together. Uh, this summer, uh, I had a chance to take a little family vacation, went down to the Keys for about a week, and my boys uh, joined us down there. And, and uh, one night, one late afternoon on the vacation, we went uh, fishing for tarpon. And, and we got out there, and we were fishing and fishing, and we weren't catching. We were fishing and fishing and not getting too many bites, you know. And, and this is costing me a lot of money, you know. And it was getting dusk, you know, and we kept fishing and fishing. And then all of a sudden, yeah. That's my oldest son, Raymond. Now watch. That's me. Yeah. You say yeah with me? Yeah. Over a hundred pound tarpon. You know, that was exciting, you know, and, you know, and I'm kind of the place when it comes to fishing. I'd rather see my kids catch the fish than catch it myself, and many of you have seen that, uh, that big fish on the wall in there, 750 pounds, at Blue Marlin. When I was fishing for that one, Raymond, my youngest uh, son, kept, my oldest son, kept saying to me, come on, old man, reel it in. Come on, old man, reel it in, and I blew my back out in the process, and I got it to the boat, and we couldn't get the hook out the first time when trying to tag it, and uh, so it took off, so I handed the pole to Raymond. I already bought on the boat once. It took him longer to get the, get the fish to the boat the second time than it did took me the first time. I kept saying, come on, young man, you know, come on, young man, you know. But, man, I, I love fishing, and I love fishing with my kids. But I don't enjoy fishing by myself. And one of the best things about our, our vacation, our trip down to the Keys this time, was uh, my new uh, daughter-in-law, Brittany. She caught her first fish, and I was sitting in the pool watching her, you know, and, and all of a sudden she had a fish on, and she's all excited, and she's screaming and hollering, you know, and she thinks she's got a big tarpon on there or something, you know, and she's all excited, and she finally brings it up, and it was about this big, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, fishing isn't a solo sport. It's a team sport. It's so much more fun when you do it together. See, some of us think fishing for men is a solo sport. And we kind of go fishing all alone. You know, we kind of head out to Starbucks. We grab our little New Testament. We find some stranger on the patio there. And we say, hey, what a great sunset. Did you know God made the sunset? Do you know that God sent his son to die for your sins on a sunset night just like tonight? And if you believe in him, if you don't believe in him, you're going to hell. 
you know? Real inviting, right? A little awkward. And we fumble through some type of canned speech or presentation. And that's why the majority of us never fish. Because we tried it once. And we said, we'd never do that again. Right? Fishing is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. It's something that Jesus wants every single one of us to do together as a team. You see, God established the church to help us fish. See, God's a very inclusive God. God loves us, and and God loves this world so much that he sent his very own son. He gave the greatest gift possible. And that son chose to lay down his life and to die for our sins. And that message of God's love and God's inclusivity of sending his son to die for us is what's called the gospel, the good news. And the gospel, the good news, it needs to get out. Because God is a loving, inclusive father. And God has asked you and you and you to help get the word out. To fish. To fish for men. To fish for women. To fish for little boys. To to fish for very little girls. And Christ has established his church. The Apostle Paul refers to it as a mystery. The word mystery in the Bible is referring to something that was hidden and is now revealed. And the church of Jesus Christ was hidden in the Old Testament. You don't find the church there. But it was then revealed in the New Testament. And Jesus has established the church to get the message out that there is a God out there that loves us, that's radically inclusive. He's established the church to help us to fish. Now, if you have your Bibles or if you have your electronic devices... Turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 16. Matthew 16. Matthew is the first book of uh, the New Testament. Um, Matthew is kind of a bad guy. So if you're a bad guy or gal here, there's hope, okay? One of these guys, he was a very bad guy. He was a tax collector. He was a thief. He was really kind of an extortionist, kind of like a mob guy today, I think, in our American culture. You know, Matthew kind of worked for the mob, and he meets Jesus And his life is transformed, and God uses, you know, Matthew and his life and his story of being a tax collector to share God's story, the story of Jesus and this gospel called Matthew. And Matthew was a Jew, and he wrote his gospel primarily to the Jewish audience to help them begin to see and realize that Jesus was indeed the Christ, that he was the Messiah. Now, Matthew becomes a fisher of men, and he's fishing, and he writes this story And uh, the story we're going to be studying this morning, I really believe, has some monumental things that Jesus said that's very clear in the context that Jesus' disciples had never heard before. And maybe this morning, some of these things you've never heard before. Jesus shares three big new theological truths here in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, 13 through 20. So if you would uh, please join me in standing and out of respect for God's word, let's read this together. I'll read, and then you join me in the highlighted parts, okay? Can we do that? All right. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on this earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on this earth shall be loosed in heaven. Before you grab your seats, turn to the person next to you and say, You are my fishing buddy. You are my fishing buddy. I grab your seat there. Three big new theological truths that Jesus is revealing to his disciples. Number one is this. Jesus is the Christ, the foundation of the church. Can you say that with me? Jesus is the Christ of the church. All right, look, look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea was about 25, 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was a Greek town. Uh, sea of Galilee was where Jesus met, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and called them to follow him. So they're up there in this, this Greek town, and Jesus kind of asked his disciples kind of a strange question. He asked this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? I mean, go into work tomorrow and ask your coworkers that question. Who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street about me, you know? And they'll probably say the only person that's talking about you is you, right? And Jesus asked this question then because everybody was talking about him. Just like today, everybody's talking about him. And I find either people find him irresistible and they love him or they find him irritating and they dislike him. Just like then, just like today. So he asked his disciples this question, who do men say that I am? And verse 14, listen to their reply. And they said, some say John the Baptist, this guy that died a couple months earlier, maybe like you're like a reincarnated John the Baptist or something. Others say Elijah. Elijah was one of the most courageous Old Testament prophets. Elijah probably did more miracles than all the other prophets combined. And Jesus was doing miracles. So some thought maybe he was Elijah or the spirit of Elijah. And then others thought Jeremiah, who was a bullfrog and a very good friend of mine. (laughs) Just wanted to make sure you're still listening. And or one of the other prophets. They're saying, you know, Jesus, you know... The people are saying they think you've come from God. You've come from the spirit of one of these great guys. And then Jesus, he gets to the great question, the real question. And I think this question is the greatest question in human existence. This is the question that every single one of us needs to answer in our lifetime, on our own spiritual journey. Each of us need to answer this question. In verse 15, Jesus says, he said to them, the 12 disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You've seen me. You've heard me. You've lived with me. We've done life together. Who do you say that I am? And I think this is a big moment in history. I think the angels are kind of leaning in They want to hear and see if these disciples are going to get this one right. I mean, Jesus has been hanging out with them. He's been making it clear. He's been teaching. He's been doing miracles. Will they get it right? 
And Peter kind of being, you know, the, the spokesman of the group, Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ in verse 16, the son of the living God. Peter's saying, you know, you look like me. You got a beard and you wear flip-flop sandals, you know. You, you kind of look like me. You smell like me, but, but you're different. You're not like John the Baptist or Elijah or the other Old Testament prophets. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. Now, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. It wasn't like Joseph and Mary Christ, and they had a baby, so they named him Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ isn't a name. It's a title. It comes from the Greek word Christos, and it's the Christ. And the word Christos means uh, uh, the anointed one, the Messiah. So Peter was saying, Jesus, you are the long-awaited Messiah. And more than that, man, you are the son of the living God. You're different than us. You're God incarnate. You're God's very own son, the son of God. And because of Jesus and who he is and who he was and his uniqueness, he was able to found and establish this mystery this monumental movement called the church. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3.11. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ established the church through his own death, through his own resurrection. He is the foundation of the church. So the first theological truth is Jesus is the Christ. He, yes, he is the Messiah. And he established the foundation of the, of the church. Second big theological truth is this. Jesus is growing. Jesus is building his church. Look at Jesus' response to Peter. Now, Peter made this great confession. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And verse 17 says, and Jesus answered him. Ding, 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 ding. Simon, you, you got it right, man. You got it right. Blessed are you, Simon. Simon Barjona. That's kind of Aramaic for Simon, son of John. Simon, you, you got it right. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon, you didn't really come up with this on your own. You're not that smart, Simon. And then look at verse 18. Incredible verse. Jesus is speaking. He says, and I tell you, and I tell you, Simon, you are Peter, Petros. Jesus is trying to mark this moment, and he changes Simon's name to Petros, Greek word, which we translate in our English, Peter. And it means stone. Your name is Stone. Now, you know, in ancient Greek literature, there's not one example of anyone being named Stone until Jesus names Simon Stone. I mean, who would want to name your kid Stone? Hey, I had a son, his name is Raymond Stone, or, or I mean, or Stone Underwood. Maybe that worked in the 60s for those that got stoned or something. I don't know, but, but you know, who would want to name your kid Stone? Maybe Rocky sounds cool, but Jesus changes his name from Simon to Petros to stone. He's trying to mark the moment. He's trying to say, guys, what Peter just said, it's big. 
It's monumental. I mean, this is really, really big, and it's so big, we're going to change Simon's name. He got it right. He said Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and so we're going to mark this moment by changing his name from Simon to Petros, meaning what? Stone. And then look what he says. And upon this rock I will build my church. Now, the, the Greek word here for rock isn't the word Petros. It's the, it's the feminine form called Petra. It means rock. It means a massive rock, kind of like Stone Mountain. He doesn't use the word Petros. He used Petra. Now, there's three options in trying to interpret and understand this. And, you know, I, this is not a big deal to me. All the options can work to some extent. But let me just kind of share those options and share with you why I believe what I believe. Um, the first option is um, uh, the Catholic Church uh, primarily believes that Jesus was referring to Peter. He said, Peter, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Petros, and upon uh, this rock, upon you, I'm going to build my church. But the difficult thing with that, with Greek syntax, is he changed the, the uh, word, the noun, from Petros to Petra. If he was referring to Peter, he would have used Petros again, but he didn't. Now, some feel that Jesus was talking, he says, I'm going to name you Stone, and upon this rock, this Petra, referring to himself, I'm going to build the church, and that could be probable as well. But I think if you look at the context here, I think what's happening, Peter's saying, hey, man, what you just said, I'm going to make you Peter, by the way, down there, Simon. What you just said was so incredible, Simon. We're going to change your name from Simon to Petros. And upon your statement, upon this Petra, that I am the Christ, I am the Son of the living God, upon this statement, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is built on this statement. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is saying here, guys, I'm getting ready to start a new movement, and it's going to be really, really big. And the common denominator for those who are going to be part of this movement will not be their nationality, it won't be their race or their language or their gender or their sex or their denomination or their tradition or their ritual. The common denominator is going to be this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is big, guys. This is really big. Make sure you get this. And then Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, what tense is that in? I will what? build. And what tense is that? It's what tense? Future tense. I will. The church hadn't existed yet. It wasn't there yet. These 12 disciples probably didn't even know what, exactly what Jesus was talking about. I will build my church. It's in the future. Jesus dies. He's resurrected. We know the story we talked about a couple weeks ago. Acts chapter 1. He ascends. He sends the Holy Spirit. Peter in Acts chapter 2 stands up and preach and he says in words, many words, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the church is birth. The church comes into existence. This is big. And he says, I will build. I will build my church. And this is the first word, ecclesia, the first time this Greek word for church is seen in our Bibles right here in Matthew chapter 16. Now, when we hear the word church, what do we think of? Most of us, most Americans, most people think of a building. The word ecclesia is never used in the scripture to refer to a building. 
The church is not a building. The church is its people. It's not a building. There's nothing sacred in our building. Now, in the Old Testament, there was something sacred. God dwelt in the temple. God dwelt in the building. God doesn't dwell in the buildings anymore. God dwells within his people. So there's nothing sacred about our building. Now, the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia. It's a compound Greek word. Ek is a preposition that means out of or out from. And klesia comes from the Greek verb kaleo, which means to call. So ekklesia means to call out of, to call out from. See, the church are those who've been called out from this endless sea of opportunity. The church is those who've been called out from the world to follow Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to build and grow his church. And it says here, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the gates of death will not prevail against it. Nothing No one will stop it. What Jesus is saying here, I think his disciples, not even my own death will stop this movement. Not even your death will stop this movement. It will grow and grow and grow and grow. It will build and build and build and build. And these 12 disciples, they're they're hearing this for the first time. And I'm sure some of these guys had to be standing back and they're probably got to be thinking like, like, really? I mean, like, really? I mean, Jesus, you know, just kind of a reality check here to kind of help bring us back down to reality. You're the son of a carpenter, you know. You're from Nazareth. And we're out here in the Middle East, in the middle of nowhere, and it's 100 degrees out here, and there's, there's 12 of us, and you're going to build this thing into this massive movement? based upon this statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And look where we are today. 2,000 years later, a third of the world's population, about 30%, would say they agree with that confession, that statement, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the biggest movement in the world today, the biggest movement in the world ever. Can you imagine being one of those 12 disciples? And Jesus says, man, I want you to fish. I want to turn you into something you're not. And this thing's going to grow. It's going to grow. I mean, this is big. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we're all so different. The church is so different. I mean, you've got Catholicism and Baptists and Catholics, Episcopalians and Protestants and the Charismatics. And we disagree and disagree and disagree. But you know the one statement that the church, the universal, all those groups believe in? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the focal point of the Christian church. Jesus founded his church that's big, but it's bigger than that. He is growing his church. He's growing his church on this statement that he is the Christ. He is the very son of the living God. It's very big. And then notice this third new theological idea. Jesus wants us to partner with his church in the fishing process. And I think we've really missed this theological truth. Can we make make that statement together? Read it with me, can you? Jesus wants us to partner with his church 
and the fishing process. Now look at verse 19. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on this earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on this earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about some type of papal succession? I don't think so. Jesus is giving Peter. Jesus is giving us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The key to open the gate and to allow people into heaven. This is big. This is really, really big. You're talking about where people are going to spend eternity for eternity, where their souls are going to spend eternity. I mean, this is monumental. God is sharing his power. Jesus is sharing his power, his authority with us. I mean, this is serious. In the times of Christ, not, you know, very few people really owned homes, and those that owned homes, often they'd have a steward. And a steward would be the one who had the keys to the house. And his job was to open the doors of the house. He was the steward. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, listen, disciples, those of you that are going to follow me and, and fish, because followers fish if they really follow, and to follow Jesus means to fish. I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys. And what's the key? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm giving you the keys to open heaven's door. And every time you share the good news, every time you talk about the gospel, every time you proclaim that there is a good God and that God loves us so much, you're given the opportunity to fish and to allow people to become a part of God's forever family. This is big. This is monumental. This is, this is serious. Now, we have kind of like two different views from, from this passage of Scripture, when it, and I think we've kind of missed this theological truth to some extent in our culture that um, God wants us to fish, and He wants us to fish with His church and to partner with His church in fishing and uh, to share this authority and this power uh, with us. Um, you know, I, one view is more like the Protestant view, for lack of a better phrase. And I grew up in a church where on every Tuesday night or Monday night or whatever, we would go what they called visitation. Maybe some of you used to go out in visitation, you know. And we learned a, a great little thing. I was a certified teacher trainer in what's called EE, Evangelism Explosion. And loved that stuff. And others would learn the Roman role or the four spiritual laws. And, and we would memorize a little script. And then we'd go out and share that script. And we used to call it soul winning. You know, we're going out to save souls. We're going out to open the, the kingdom door, you know. And, and, the, and the philosophy back then was, you know, you got the church, those that are called out from the world, and, and they meet here, and you meet on church on Sunday, and then you go out in the week into the world, and you, you share the gospel, and you convert them. And if you convert them, then you bring them back to the church. But don't you dare bring them back to the church until they get converted first, because if they come back to the church, you know, they kind of get scared off, you know. I mean, it has like a subculture, and they kind of speak in their own language, and those Christian people, they kind of all look alike and smell alike and act alike, you know. And so, you know, you never wanted to bring your 
unchurched friends to church uh, until you convert them first, because then they kind of would understand you'd bring them in. So that was, that was kind of the method, the model. You know, when I grew up, it's like you gather together as a church and you go out in the world and you, you try to save souls. Now, by the way, some people were very, very good at, at saving souls. Some people had the gift of fishing. You know, they go into Starbucks and they would say, isn't it a beautiful sun out there? And the person would just get down on his knees, you know, you know, and they would get on an airplane and sit next to this guy. And this guy would say, how can I be saved? And and he, and I've had that experience before. And I've prayed with people on airplanes. And that's that's kind of the old way that we used to fish. And guess what? Nobody fishes, but just a small group of people. And then the other view that has existed for decades is for lack of a better word, Catholicism or the Episcopal Church. And my wife grew up Catholic. Many of you have grown up Catholic. And, and you know, and, and in that kind of view and perception, you know, my wife has shared on many occasions that they never talked about fishing in, in the Catholic Church. And if that's been your experience or it's been different than that, tell me about that, you know. And they never talked about sharing your personal faith and your personal journey and sharing your story. You're supposed to just kind of live a good life and pray like mad and maybe, just maybe, you might get into heaven and you need to have compassion for the poor at the same time. And and you never even thought about inviting someone to your church, you know, if, if you were Catholic. I mean, let's kind of be honest. You wouldn't want to tell the priest this, but it was kind of boring, you know. And you kind of paid penance by going to church and, and you really didn't want anybody else to have to suffer by going with you. And so you really never in, invited anyone to come. See, in both these views, we weren't working together in partnership with the church. The church wasn't seen as our fishing buddy. The church wasn't created to create an experience on Sunday that you can invite your friends and family to and feel good about it. We've kind of missed this monumental idea that we can work hand in hand with our church that the church, when it's healthy and, 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 and growing and has the heart of Christ, there isn't a better place, more powerful place on this planet for people to experience Christ and the love of God. You see, we can all fish. Every day of our life, we should be fishing. We should be building bridges, investing, inviting people to come and to see and to know and to hear and understand about Christ. Now, look at verse 20. This is going to kind of mess with your mind a little bit, all right? Jesus kind of ends this, this passage here, and he says this in verse 20. Then he, he being who? Jesus. He strictly charged the disciples to tell no one, get this, tell no one that he was the Christ. I mean, Peter makes this great confession. Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, way to go, Simon. We're going to change your name. We're going to start this church, and it's going to be a monumental movement. It's going to be big, really big. But don't tell nobody about it. And I'm sure the disciples are kind of confused. Didn't you call us to fish, and, and now you're telling us not to fish? I mean, Jesus, can't you please make up your mind? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, don't tell people that I'm the Messiah. When they hear that word Christos, the Messiah, they're thinking of a political kingdom that's going to rule and reign on the earth right now that's going to defeat the Romans. 
Jesus saying, hey guys, I'm not coming to establish a political kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And it's called ecclesia. It's called the church. It's those that are going to be gathered out of the world to love me and to love the world and to follow me and to help this world know that there is a God that loves this world. Now, I would admit that over the years, the church has done some really bad, stupid things. The Inquisition, the Crusades, witch hunts, even today the church pastors do a lot of really embarrassing, bad things. Because the church, it's not perfect because it's made up of imperfect people like me and like you. But the church is the most powerful place on the planet for lost fish to be found. And we need to partner with our church in the fishing process. And I, and I love this story in John chapter 1 where, where Philip is, is trying to fish. He's, he's fishing for this guy by the name of Nathaniel. Let me read it. In verse 4, 44, it says, Now Peter, now Philip, uh, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And, and Philip found, who'd he found? He was fishing. He found this guy by the name of who? Nathaniel. And he said to him, Man, we have found him. We found him uh, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, the Messiah was supposed to come out of Bethlehem, you know. And Philip said to him, Philip said to him. What did Philip say to Nathanael? said what? Come and see. Come and see this man, Jesus, and you decide for yourself. Come and see. And see, we're supposed to be fishing with you that every Sunday as a church, we create an experience where Christ is preeminent, where Christ is the focus of our worship and our teaching, and where you can go out every day of your life and say to the people you connect, come and see. Come and see. Come and see what God is doing. Come and see that there's a good God out there. Come and see that there's answers to your questions. Come and see and experience Christ and experience God's love for yourself. Come and see. See, we need to join our church in being fishing buddies. All of us. Because followers fish if they're really following To follow Jesus means to fish. And I pray this morning that you will make a commitment in your heart to fish every day of your life. Can we bow our heads in prayer? And with our heads bowed right now, can you just take a minute and join me in in just thanking God with all its imperfections, thanking God for the church. Thanking God for our church. And then can you pray this morning and say, God, God help me to join you in fishing for men. God, help me to become a fisher of men, fisher of women, fisher of kids. God, help me.
And maybe this morning, for the first time in your life, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. And maybe right now you just need to pray and say, God, you know, I acknowledge my unworthiness. I acknowledge my sin. And I get it. You love me. And you love me so much that you sent your very own son to die for me. I thank you for sending Jesus. Forgive me. I put my faith and trust in him alone to save me. God, we we thank you that you're not a distant God, that you are at work in this world today and, and you have started and founded this incredible movement. God, help us to start living for the eternal. God, help us to start living for what matters most, the souls of men and women. God, help every single one of us that calls ourselves a Christian to fish, to join you in fishing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.